You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee, go to vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's our podcast. Morning, everybody. Man, I'm awake today. I like it. Um, yeah. So, do you have um, you have a person you love to see fail? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not. I'm not talking like. I'm not talking like you know when you're a Packers fan that you like you want the Vikings to fail, right? Or you want the Bears to fail. Like I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you know you got a person, and you're thinking about it right now. I got you. I got you. You're thinking about that person right now. You're like, I kind of like it when they fail. You know, there's something about them when they kind of crash and burn. You kind of, oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> You know, I, I, I worked with this guy that, um, man, he drove me nuts. He always tried to find a loophole for everything, right? Always tried to find the loophole, the easy way out, right? And, um, but then he wanted, to, he wanted to look amazing all the time. Like, he was this amazing person. Like, he would tell all the time this story about how he saved this drowning boy in, like, I don't know, Ghana or somewhere, I, I can't remember the country, but, and, and he would bring that up all the time, and it was, like, annoying, or that he actually holds a world record, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because then you'd look it up and know who this person is, but he owns, he owns a world, he, he owns a world record of something, like, stupid, like, it, I mean, he just basically researched, what is a record I could get that is dumb enough that no one would even, like, like, it's just silly. And so he did that. And he has this stupid, and so he talks about, he always wants to look good for people, right? He wants to impress them all the time. And it drives me nuts because I've seen a side of him that I just, like, I can't stand. So, like, I kind of love to see him fail. And then he ran for political office. I'm not going to tell you what office because you're going to find out who he is. And, and he won. And I was like, no. Man, I didn't vote for you, you know. Um, but it turns out he's actually a great politician. Go figure, right? But there's always these thoughts of like I wanted him to fail, and then I realized, you know, he's just he's just trying to show off all the time and wants to look good for other people. And then I realized something. I'm not that different. Not that different. And today, we're going to look at a prophet who wanted an entire city to fail, to burn. And just so you know, a prophet is a person regarded as an inspired teacher and proclaimer of the will of God. He is with the mouth of which God speaks. And we can act, that's, the Bible actually says that in Jeremiah and Isaiah that he is the mouth of which God speaks. He is in relationship with God. And we're going to look at the prophet Jonah and learn that he's not that different than his enemies. But God's mercy is always constant and always good. Jonah, the prophet, he gets the call from God to go to Nineveh, right? Rebecca, we shared some of this story uh, Last week, and, and just so you know, we're not really going chapter by chapter in this series. We're kind of doing different themes and highlighting different things. So 
it, like Rebecca said, it's a short book. Just read the whole thing, and we're going to kind of pull lots of stuff out of it. So Jonah, he gets called from God to go to Nineveh, and he doesn't want to go. Uh, he doesn't like the people at Nineveh. They get under his skin. He knows God's going to show them mercy. So what does he do? He runs. He jumps on a boat with some pagan fishermen. Now, these fishermen, they were part of a pipeline of sort of pagan wealth and greed of Tarshish. They were fishermen of Tarshish. And uh, Rebecca talked a little bit about people kind of creating their own Eden last week. And that's what these, were, these people were doing. They were creating their own Eden and people that think they're better than everyone else and they're going to create their own little utopia to benefit themselves. Uh, so we pick up on Jonah 1, chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. It says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ships threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Now, get this. The pagan fishermen, right, the people who kind of opposed the ways of God that knew there were, they, they're the ones who knew that there was something spiritual going on. The pagan fishermen. Not Jonah, not the person who, like, knows God. Like, he didn't know. He's downstairs sleeping, right? The pagan fishermen are like, oh, there must be something spiritual going on. This is crazy storm. We need to figure it out, right? So they wander down to the belly of the boat, and there's Jonah, and he's asleep, and he is totally unaware what God is doing. And then we pick up on this scripture verse again in verse 7. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. FYI, if you're running from a God who made the sea, a boat's not a good idea, right? A boat's not a good idea. Chapter 10, I mean, verse 10, he says, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm for us? Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, this so-called prophet, rather than actually go to Nineveh and do what God has told him to do, which is like kind of his job, right? Uh, it's kind of his job. He decides to put these fishermen in a life-threatening situation and doesn't really seem to care, right? He won't even throw himself into the sea. He's like, you're going to have to pick me up and throw me over. Dude, come on. You did this. You get in there. What do you mean? He's so like, I don't care. Like, you're going to have to take care of it. Instead, it says in, in, in verse 13, instead, the men did their best 
to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. The enemy, the supposed enemy, the fishermen, they don't want to sacrifice an innocent man. They realize there's something going on here. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking his man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing one innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The enemy repents. The prophet gets wet. The fishermen are part of the ships of Tarshish, a city who is trying to build their own wealth and greed and their own Eden, their own elitism. However, the fishermen met God and repented despite Jonah's actions. Jonah, he can't even self-sacrifice. Says, pick me up, throw me overboard. And then Jonah gets swallowed up by a ginormous fish for three days and then gets vomited out on land. Okay? Gets vomited out on land. And then we pick up in the story. We're going to pick up at Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah and a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, sort of, okay? Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to break down a little bit about Nineveh so you have an understanding. Nineveh was, like, filled with bad people, okay? It was another pagan city. It was a really, really large city, and they considered themselves kind of like enemies of religion. So... By the way, I just learned this fascinating little plug. If you're not connected at all to Bible Project, do it. It's so good. It's so rich. Anyway, so I just learned this on Bible Project. I learned the meaning of Nineveh. Does anybody know what the meaning of Nineveh is? I'm about to enlighten your day. This is crazy. Okay, so the meaning of Nineveh. First of all, um, Nineveh is not a Hebrew word. It's a Semitic word, and, a, and it's from, uh, this is more information than you probably want to know, but it's from a dialect of, called Arcadian. The city of Nineveh was actually named after their goddess, Nina, which, guess what? Guess what the symbol of Nina, their goddess, is? A fish. Isn't that hysterical? I thought that was hysterical. So here Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish, and he's getting sent to Fish City. Like, that is, if, if you don't think God's funny, like, this is, this is funny. This is so, this is great. So anyway, so that was just a little, that was just a little side golden nugget for you. So Fish City, right? Nineveh is really a big, large city, and it takes three days to walk through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. So what's that tell you? Jonah didn't even, like, walk the whole city. Like, he's supposed to deliver this message to the whole city of Nineveh, all the way through. Ah, I went a day. I went a day. Right? I went a day. And he stopped after a day, and then he proclaimed this. Walks a day in the city, 
I don't know. I imagine he's standing in some sort of courtyard, maybe a gate. I don't know. And he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The end. That's the sermon, right? That's the sermon. Uh, in Hebrew, that's, that's like five words, okay? So he only walks a third of the city in, says one line, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it looks like that's it, right? He... he it's like he knows the words, but he doesn't really care. He, he just wants to do his own thing. He wants to be done. It, he doesn't like these people. It, it, it's, it's as if he, he has, there's no difference between really anything. He's just going through the motions, right? But actually, if he stops and he looks in the mirror, he's going to find that his enemies are not much different than him. And he walks out. But God's mercy is always good. We pick up in verse 5, where it says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on a sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their, their violence. Who knows? God may yet re relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah didn't go through and tell the whole city the prophecy. He didn't stick around to take on questions, do a little Q&A with the Ninevites, right? He didn't, he didn't even tell them who God was. He didn't even tell them who God was or what they should do. He just said, you got 40 days and you're done. He didn't even present another option. He, didn't even he said, you're done. He didn't even present another option to them. He didn't even give them a chance. It's like he wanted them to fail. The people of Nineveh, their reaction is amazing. You know, word reaches the king, he repents, he puts on sackcloth, itchy clothing. I don't know what it is about itchy clothing that they do always do when they have to repent, but make them feel uncomfortable, right? They put the itchy clothing on, he sits in dust, tells everyone else, stop what you're doing. Put on the itchy stuff. Repent. Get the itchy clothing on and put the make sure the cows have the itchy clothing too. Like they got to rip everybody. We're doing the whole thing. We're getting everybody in this, right? Everybody. What in the world is happening? The guy who is supposed to be the prophet, the man of God, the person of God, doesn't seem to care about these people that God cares about. The people that are supposed to be on the outside putting up a fight. They're repenting. 
They're repenting their ways, and they don't even know the God they're repenting to yet. It's like totally upside down. Jonah has more characteristics of the enemy than the Ninevites. However, the one truth, the one truth in all of this is God's mercy is always right side up. God is always constant. The story of Jonah ends like this. He, he, he leaves Fish City after saying five words, and he was angry. He was angry, right? And we pick up on Jonah 4. I told you that the, the book is short. We're almost through the whole story. We've almost read all four chapters today. Um, but it's so cool. There's so many themes and so many things you can get out of it. So chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. He, I, I, never mind. I'm going to focus. I'm going to stay focused. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern For the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. End of story. End of story. Jonah had more feelings over the death of a vine than the very people that God cared about. That he did nothing to produce, nothing to care for the vine. He cared more about this thing that provided him a little shade for a moment than the very, very people that God cares about. People that God cares about. People that God created. People that God wanted to show mercy. People that God wanted to be reconciled. He didn't care about that. story makes you look in the mirror. Who's your enemy? Who is it you don't care about? 
book messes with you. It makes you look in the mirror. It makes you look at your reflection. Are you okay with God loving your enemy? Is your enemy at work? Is it your boss? Maybe a coworker? Who do you want to see fail? Is it someone in this room? Someone in our church? Is it someone in your family? Who have you pushed to the edge? Who do you think doesn't deserve mercy? Truth is, not that different from Jonah. The story causes you to look in the mirror and see that we're not that different. It causes us to see the worst parts of our own character. It should create humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with you. <laughs> you are not that different from your enemies. But, but, God's Mercy, God's mercy is so, so always, always good. His mercy is wide. It's even wider than you. And we are not that different from our enemies, but God's mercy is good. If we stop focusing on what you don't like about a person and start focusing on what God sees and desires for his people, that person, I think what you're going to find is you're going to see less storms, you're going to be less angry, and he may even free you something bigger than a fish. Why don't we stand? As we move into ministry, I, I think the call is pretty, pretty clear. Um. As you look in that reflection and you start to see, there's that person. There's that person. Those characteristics are the very thing that, 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 that draws me towards this side of things. Not that much different than Jonah. But the encouragement to you today is that God is the constant, constant, always, always showing mercy. And he offers mercy for you today. He offers mercy for you today. And as we move into worship and an opportunity for prayer ministry, I just want to, if, if this has all stirred something up in you, as you looked in the mirror and you see some of the characteristics in you that you're like, oh man, whew, I'm not that different. I'm not that different than the people I am pushing out to the edges that I want to see fail. I'm not that different. God actually has mercy for you. And, and through that mercy, there is going to be things that change from the inside out. And so what I want you to do is, if, if that is all you, if that's speaking at all to you, uh, the way, if you're new here, the way we do prayer ministry is 
Uh, we have a prayer team in the back to uh, my left, your right. They would love to pray for you and just invite God's mercy into that situation and just bring healing and freedom. Bring healing and freedom, okay? So as we worship, and, uh, and then uh, there may be some other words that may pop up during worship that we'll share, but if you want prayer for anything else too, we'll absolutely do that. If you pray for healing or there's a certain situation that's very specific, we'd love to pray for that. Um, make sure you get prayer. It's part of what we do, okay? Let's worship. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information, go to vineyardmilwaukee.com.